welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. It's lovely to see you this morning. If you've got your Bible, can you turn to the book of Proverbs? Either that's on a device that you have or actually your real retro physical Bible, whichever it is, grab it. Today we are looking at a really important subject. We're looking at the subject of money. And the Bible, especially the book of Proverbs, speaks a lot about the subject of money. Let me just check in with you and deal with any anxiety in the room. Uh, Do you know the Mental Health Foundation has found that building money skills and seeking financial support if you need it are one of the most important things that you can do to maintain good mental health. The Proverbs is a picture of um, one generation passing wisdom about all sorts of things to the next. It's straight talking and it's no-nonsense wisdom from God for us. And of the 31 chapters that we have in the book of Proverbs, you'll find wisdom about money, work, generosity or debt in 21 of those 31 chapters. So you may feel that growing up you had lots of wisdom or little. You may have absorbed values or beliefs from your background and your culture. And what we're trying to do this morning is say, what does the Bible say about that, rather than just our family of origin and our culture? Just two statements that I'm going to put up on the screen to get us started. Engage with these statements and just without shouting out the score, just mentally, where do you score yourself on a scale of 1 to 10? Here's a statement. I understand the world of personal finances and I have the skills, the knowledge and the habits to trust God and do really well in this area of life. How do you score yourself? One, strongly disagree. Ten, strongly agree. Don't shout it out, but just clock that. Next question. On a scale of one to ten, one being peaceful, ten being very stressed, where am I right now? What's your starting point today, friends? Do you know, the context at the moment is uh, very, very volatile. We're in a very strange economic time, cost of living going up dramatically. And there's some great practical wisdom out there, people like Martin Lewis, Money Tips. There's lots of self-help books on this subject, but that's not what we're doing today. We're trying to have not just a bunch of life hacks. We're trying to centre on the wisdom and the teaching of Jesus, to trust him in everything. So let's start by reading Proverbs chapter 3, and then I'm going to pray. Proverbs chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 5 and 6. This is the word of the Lord given in love for us. Trust the Lord. With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him or acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Let's pray as we start. Lord, we thank you that we have an opportunity to trust you and to lean not on our own instinct or understanding, but in all of our ways, submit to or acknowledge you and your wisdom. Help us do that in this subject. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Good stuff. So the goal here, friends, is to place the wisdom of Jesus at the very core of this whole topic and conversation. And that could mean that you have to dislodge previously held assumptions, habits or beliefs. Do you know, if you're a young person here particularly, I want to appeal to you, a young adult maybe, get your financial foundations right. It really makes a difference in the time going forward. Now, our goal here for everybody in our church community is that you could confidently be moving towards seven, eight, nine or ten on that first statement. 
that you could actually say, I understand the world of personal finances. I have the skills, the knowledge, and the habits to trust God and do really well in this area of life. That's the hope and that's the goal. If that causes some resistance in you, then this is a space the Lord wants to work this morning. Now, just to remind you about the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs sets out wise principles and life probabilities. If you consistently face this direction step by step and walk in that direction, you will end up over there. If you face this way and take little steps, you will end up over there. The life of wisdom is often made up of simple step-by-step decisions that accumulate over time and end us up in a certain place. Proverbs speaks about the character and the nature of God and his promises and faithfulness to us as well. So what does the book of Proverbs show about this subject of money? That's the screen there. We're not going to cover all of those, be relieved, we'll leave it at two o'clock otherwise. Of that list, we're going to focus on a few of them. The first one to start us off, God is the source. God is the source of our provision and security, not your bank balance. Rick Warren, pastor in the States, put it this way, money, don't love it or don't live for it. Don't trust it for security and don't expect it to satisfy. It all belongs to God and he's using it to train me to trust Proverbs 11 says this, those who trust in their riches will fall. Proverbs 18 says this, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Do you know, if you're wealthy, you can fall into this trap of believing that your money will provide security and peace today and in your future. But a life of faith is meant to free us up from the pressure that your future is just all about you and in your hands. You see, as followers of Jesus... God is our good shepherd. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. He provides for us. He provides wisdom for the journey, direction on how to live. And ultimately, for us as followers of Jesus, he's the source of our provision, security, and peace. Now, we have to partner with him. We have a whole bunch of stuff we have to do. But ultimately, he is the source of our provision, security, and peace. So we put, second thing, God first. God first in everything. Just after those verses we looked at in Proverbs 3 about trusting the Lord with all your heart comes this instruction. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. The message puts it this way, give him the first and give him the best. What does it mean to put God first in life? little uh, breakdown of how you can see that word first. Put, put God first maybe in your finances. If you want God to bless your finances, then put him first in your finances. Give what's right and not what's left. In your interests, give God first consideration in the big decisions and the small decisions of life. In your relationships, if you want God to bless your relationships, then put him first in your friendships and family. What about your schedule? If you want God to bless your week, then give him the first day of your week. Gather as God's people on a Sunday. And centre on his word and worship. But give him the first part of every day. And ask him to bless the day, the demands and the things that are coming up, but also in troubles. Turn to God. He should be your first resort and not your last resort. Third thing here we say is be productive. I'm not going to redo this because this was done brilliantly last week by Catherine and by John. But, but uh, there's a principle in the book of Proverbs. If you want to think about the whole area of money is work hard. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. But there's a caution in the midst of industry, and it says this, don't wear yourselves out to get rich, and don't trust your own cleverness. Proverbs 23 and verse 4. 
Do you know, when we think about the area of work, and I'll just make this one comment before moving on, we're not just called to follow our dreams. When you're thinking about what do I do with my career and my future, that's more like discipleship according to Disney. (laughs) You're going to follow your design, basically. How has God made you? There's a rabbi called Rabbi Daniel Lapin, and he puts it very well in his book called Business Successes, Business Secrets from the Bible. And he puts it this way. Do something that God has made you good at that benefits other people. Work is not always doing what you want to do all the time. Work is about serving others well. There's one way to make money. Finding out what other people want or need and providing those things to as many of our fellow humans as possible. This is the only way to earn money, no matter what your occupation. Bit of wisdom from Rabbi Daniel Lapin there. John Wesley famously put it this way, didn't he? Earn all you can, give all you can, and save all you can. That segues to the next thing about having a plan. When we think about what does God say? What is his wisdom to us in this area of money? Proverbs 27 says this, Be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches don't endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. You're thinking... What is that about? I haven't got any flocks or herds. (laughs) You've got to take the Bible and just think this is mostly a kind of agricultural society. That's what it was. But you interpret that to now. This is about be attentive to the assets that God has put under your leadership and control. So what assets do you have? You've got skills. You've got maybe a salary or some benefits coming in. Maybe you get bonus or overtime. Maybe you've had an inheritance or a tax rebate, all of those resources God has put at your disposal, they're your flocks and herds, okay, when you read this proverb. It's what comes in and what God has given you to manage. So you've got to have a plan. That's what the Bible's saying. You've got to be attentive about the things that he's put in your control. And just four things we want to look at really briefly here. First thing is live within your limits. It's the number one principle that's in the book of Proverbs and actually is just biblical wisdom. Live within your limits. Spend less than you earn. In many Jewish families, parents teach their kids this little principle. Give 10%, save 10%, which is cash saving, invest 10% for the future, and live on 70%. Common wisdom in Jewish families. Second thing is then have a written plan. Have a financial plan that's really clear and captured. You know, another way to say that is have a budget. Our job is to manage what God has provided. That's what it means to be a steward. And we need to be control freaks over that which is entrusted to us. You've got to exercise appropriate control over those God-given resources. Now, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where the heck did it go. (laughs) That's what a budget is. Now, I want to think for a minute as an illustration. Just by way of illustration, a bit, a bit retro to have some actual real money in the place, but uh, just think of every pound that you have in your household budget, whatever, whatever it's coming in, benefits or income. Think of every pound that you have as being a soldier in your army, and you have been appointed now and promoted to general. Well done, you. You are general. Now, you need to tell those soldiers what to do and where to go. Are you going to have discipline in the ranks, or is there going to be anarchy in your army? As a general, are you found sleeping on the job, or do you have a clear vision of what these soldiers are for? Now, you might think, I'd like a few more soldiers in my army, please. (laughs) I'd like a bigger army, but you've got the army you've got for now, so your budget should cover income. And how are you going to direct those soldiers against core costs or all your spending for the whole year? 
you know, a budget is not making a note of what you spent and having a spreadsheet. That's reactive. A budget is deciding in advance where those soldiers are going to go. Every month that money comes in, I'm going to send some of my soldiers to join other God soldiers, giving. I'm going to have some soldiers in reserve because there's some other things coming my way that are going to attack our resources in about nine months' time with some big bills. There's some insurance payouts. There's other things that are coming. Plan as the general where those soldiers are going. Now, you could use a pen and paper. You could use a spreadsheet. You could use an app. It doesn't really matter. The best budget tool for you is the one that you actually use. <laughs> it only works if you monitor it. If things are tight, it's very easy to just see more finances as the ultimate solution. And that can help, but it's not always the solution. There's a well-known economic principle that's called the income effect, where we naturally, whatever our income band or bracket, we naturally expand our expenditure to match our level of income. It's called the income effect in economics. You increase your costs when your salary or money increases and you can expend your spending to match your income. A little bit of trivia for you. How many times have you thought, you know, it wouldn't be fun to win the lottery? Maybe you have to buy a ticket first, but I'm not endorsing that. Well, you know, close to half of all lottery winners file for bankruptcy within a decade of winning a windfall. If you're not good at managing 30,000, you're not going to manage 300,000 or 3 million. Because it's the same principle, just with more zeros. As a kid, I remember growing up in a family where my parents were just... Good and generous people, and probably six or seven times they cleared the debt of people they knew in church. And for some, it was a game changer. It was a trigger they needed. They had the plan, the budgeting in order, and it was just a game changer moment. But for two or three, they were back round two or three years later because the life skills that the Proverbs speak about weren't embedded in their story. I clocked that as a kid. Third thing we see in this thing about having a plan is know your vulnerabilities. Do you know there are practical and there are emotional aspects to this whole subject of money? This is both spaces, friends. Let's recognise it. There's a practical planning thing, but there's an emotional part. There's desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. Oil was a commodity that you could keep. It was one of the ways people would retain value. It's like savings, basically. But the foolish man squanders it. There's, there's wise chores of, stores of food and olive oil, but the fool gulp theirs down. In other words, the fool is someone in the Bible who consumes all of their available resources when they have them, as opposed to saying, self-control, restraint, no more vulnerabilities, pause and make sure I don't consume that which is available to me. Do you know, the truth is, I want to just let you have a little reality check. You are not as autonomous as you think. We are all hugely influenced by three things. Comparison, chemistry, and coffee. It'll all make sense in time, I promise. Comparison. You might scroll through social media, and, and everyone else seems to be having an epic time with their life, and you compare yourself to others, and you want to keep up with the latest new toy or lifestyle you see a friend enjoying. Don't get sucked in by that. Chemistry. Maybe you feel a bit flat, and sometimes when we treat ourselves, we actually have a little endorphin surge in our system. You know that effect? It actually happens to us when we spend and we get a little Amazon delivery and go, ooh, let's open it. You get an endorphin surge. It's chemistry, folks. It just happens in our bodies. That purchase can make you feel a bit brighter for a little while. 
or simply impulse purchases. We've all done it. We've gone shopping when we're hungry. We get home and pack the trolley thinking, what the heck came over me? I just bought all sorts of nonsense because I was hungry. Hey, and the coffee, the last one, that's comparison chemistry. But coffee, do you know, um, an inter- anybody coffee fans in the room? You like your coffee? Yeah, I see a lot of you. Watch out for this one, friends. An international study led by the University of South Florida published recently in the Journal, journal of Marketing showed that caffeine hugely impacts what you buy and how much you spend when shopping. Wake up call here, friends. They set up complimentary coffee at the entrance to a whole bunch of shops, and shoppers who drank a single cup of coffee before going in spent on average 50% more and bought nearly 30% more items than shoppers who drank decaf or just water. Oh my gosh. So just be a cynic, okay? If anybody's thinking, if you go to the shops and they're thinking, hey, would you like some coffee? Go, I know what you're doing. Get away from me. I'll have the water. Thank you very much. Do you know, we love to think that we're autonomous, independent, free-thinking people. We're not. We're influenced by comparison or chemistry or even coffee. We've got to learn some financial self-control. And it's not easy. Just want to ask you, reality check, what are your financial black holes? What are those purchases that can draw you in, that you find hard to resist? Is it gadgets and gizmos and tech? Is it that? Or is it socialising and entertainment? Is it shopping clothes, beauty products? What is it? At the risk of sounding like a grumpy old parent here, you know, occasional treats become consistent expectations. That can happen to us. Next thing we see in this is delayed gratification. I think... The truth is consistent small decisions compound over time. That's both true for spending and for saving. Consistent small decisions compound over time. Benjamin Franklin said this way one time, beware of little expenses. A small leak will sink a big ship. Mike McMaster tells a story about a colleague, a friend of his, who every summer would go for an epic holiday, take two or three weeks off and just go and hire a Harley and go up and down uh, California or just go somewhere, you know, like South Africa for a great safari. And all the colleagues at work were like, how do you do that? How do you afford that? And there was a jealousy and a bit of a conversation in the office. And he said, I'll tell you how I do it. I said, every day you get your meal deal and you go and get a latte. I don't do that. My lunch cost me 57 pence. I butchered it. I have pretty basic uh, bread from Aldi and I just put a bit of ham in or a bit of cheese and I've got a little basic kind of non-branded chocolate bar. 57 pence every day, every week. That costs me 134 pounds a year. You guys spend 1,645 pounds a year on your lunch. That's how I go on my nice little holiday. I just felt the conviction in the room. <laughs> oh, meal deals and lattes, I'm so sorry, Lord. <laughs> hey, little, de- little decisions compound over time. They comp- that's how we could do his big epic blowout holiday. Listen, the benefit of having a plan is that you can decide for you what is important. You can plan your giving, you can plan your saving, and you can appropriately enjoy things like leisure, meals, or holiday guilt-free because you've thought about it in advance and in context. That's the helpful thing about a budget. You can plan for the unexpected and and hopefully build in a little bit of financial margin. Next thing we see in the scriptures is deal with debt. Number five, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant or even slave to the lender. There's a powerful relationship in debt. There's a power dynamic going on. And the general wisdom of the Bible is avoid debt wherever possible. You're far better to save and buy things outright than take a credit agreement or a payment plan because you're indebted to them for the future. Buy now, pay later is simply getting into debt for something that is actually going down in value as you're paying for it. That's not biblical wisdom. 
Even if you get the option of an interest-free agreement for the next 24 months, you're having money going out your bank account, but what if your circumstances change? Changing hours at work. You're committed and there's money flying out the door. The general principle of the Bible is avoid debt wherever possible, save and purchase in full. Warren Buffett's got a few bob to spare. He said this, avoid credit cards, just forget about them. Fifth richest man in the world. You can't make progress in your financial life borrowing at 18 or 20%. You can make a lot of money lending at that rate, but you won't make any financial progress. If you use a credit card, do it to get your credit score up and only do it if you can fully pay off the balance at the time you get the invoice. Do you know, the only debt you really can't avoid in life is probably a mortgage. And generally, over time, mortgages will reduce and the house value will increase. It's, that's probably the one that you really can't avoid. Some people ask me, do you know what, I'm, I'm in debt and I'm trying to put God's principles into play in terms of um, dealing with my debt. Should I give or should I wait till I'm completely debt-free until I start giving? It's a great question. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but, but somebody who could speak to that with authority is a chap called John Kirkby. He leads Christians Against Poverty. I was in a room with him about 15 years ago and he was talking about the first 10 years of their charity, Christians Against Poverty. He said, as weird as it seems, we've analysed all the people we've helped, which is thousands, and we've found that people that have a plan that includes a budget, saving, you know, paying back creditors, you know, dealing with their debt, and also having a portion of giving, even if it's just a tiny bit, but a portion of giving, they get out of debt faster than those who have no giving plan. I said, when I looked at the maths and the figures, I couldn't make sense of it myself, but it's just the evidence. It shouted at us when we analysed the evidence. Just one little perspective in terms of um, someone who's got some authority to speak about it. Do you know, if you're in debt today, it can feel overwhelming. I want to be honest about that and compassionate. It can feel overwhelming. Truth is, friends, if you are in debt, it probably took a while to get there, and it will take a while to get out of it. But I want to have a completely shame-free church culture where we can honestly say this is a pickle right now. Just a bunch of things that have happened and I'm not in a good place. That is absolutely fine. We have that conversation frequently in a year with many people and it's absolutely fine. Have it with your small group leader. Come and chat to one of the partial team. Just let in friends who want to help because we've got people that are trained and we do lots of things practically. You know, Every month, every, it feels like every week, there are moments where we just are being God's family, compassionately helping, where situations need compassionate help. That is our story in a generous church like ours. Some have got an abundance and some have got need. We cover that. But we can't cover it if we don't know about it. And so if you find yourself a little bit overwhelmed and you feel like this is an area that's not working, have a conversation, get some help. We're trying to teach on this, but also practically back up this with help. Next thing there in the Bible is save, steward, and grey resources. Coming into land in the next couple of minutes. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Do you know, we're meant to make our money grow. That's part of what the Bible says about resources. Don't just save what's left after spending, but spend what's left after saving. Make a plan. Even if it's just a tiny bit... Put some financial margin in your life. Try and do that. Proverbs says we're not to save, but we're to invest and grow our finances if we're in that position. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. A couple of things to say here, just by way of a quick comment. Probably the most effective thing you can do around the environment and justice issues in the world is actually think about your spending power and your investments and your saving. That's probably one of the big ways that you can make a difference. Do you know who your pension provider's with? Have you checked out what's invested in? Don't outsource your conscience to your pension provider. They might not have one quite as refined as yours. <laughs> Just saying. 
That's a space where you can make a difference. And the Bible says there, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Just to simply pursue profit, but if it's doing damage to the planet or people, that is not a good thing. And you need to, as a Christian, not outsource that. Get aware, get reading. Get a financial education up a little bit so you're conscious about your spending habits and your investment if you've got a pension. Rant over. Move, uh, um, <laughs> number, se- <laughs> number seven, enjoy what you have. Be content. Um, uh, let me just tell you one little story. Just, can I just squeeze in a story and stretch a little bit? Is that okay? But, um, Pete, Pete and Jan. Jan Spafford's here. Pete, um, Pete's uh, Jan's husband. He told me a story a little while ago about when he was a kid and he was a teenager and he had a hobby of um, having... He had a budgie and he liked budgies and other people had budgie as pets. And so he decided to breed budgies and sell a couple. So he did that. And then after selling a few budgies to people and friends, he just had this little side hustle that he grew a little bit and bred budgies and sold them. And then he thought, you know what? If I buy the budgie seed in big, bulk bags I can sort of package that up and then sell those bags to the people that have got budgies anyway he did that for a few years as a teenager and then he saved enough every single penny he just shoved in national savings that gave him his deposit for his first house jeepers he's still in the budgie business <laughs> I was chatting to him this morning I said can I tell that story he said yeah of course you can he's still breeding budgies he's going to London in a couple of weeks to sell some more budgies listen your side hustle could be a little income source for you maybe you've got an entrepreneurial son or daughter encourage them tell that story it's how Branson tried to get going as well. Anyway, moving on. I want to just tell a story to finish. And I'm, I'm cautious about telling stories. It's a personal story. Um, and um, I'm a little bit over time, so um, you can stone me later. Just, uh, I've, chatted to a, I've chatted to a few folks about our personal story. And people said, hey, you know, you could do it telling a couple of those stories. So I'm, I'm under duress and against my inclination telling a few personal stories around this thing of money. When Rosie and I got married... When we were dating, we just, uh, Rosie was on a, she was a trainee lawyer and she was on the Law Society minimum wage. That was the lowest you could actually get paid as a trainee lawyer. That's what she was on. And I was, uh, I was just starting out working as church. And we made some decisions back then as a family to do a few things. We wanted to be very frugal, uh, try and save well, be generous, kind of increase our giving each year. Long story short, just I want to kind of give you a couple of things that have happened. When we, when we um, bought, bought our first house, which we did, every single thing in it was a freebie. We had, the bed we had was getting chucked out by some friends, 20 years old. Literally every piece of furniture we had was a, was a freebie and chucked out from somebody else's house. And we just, um, we had Economy 7 heating, which was like warm when you're out at work and freezing at night. And so we used to go out to other friends' houses at night because it was freezing in ours and we just couldn't, it was just how it worked. And, and a date night for us was going out to a Chinese restaurant. There was a, there was a takeaway place around the corner and they did a meal for one. And we realised if you got the meal for one, split the main course and cook the rice at home, it was a great meal. So that was, a, we were real skin flints and just, but we decided this. We, we had our first house and we lived on one salary and we saved the other. And we just, it was pretty chilly in our house and that was how it was. But we, after three or four years, we paid off a big chunk of our mortgage. Long story short, over years, over years we realised, you know what, over time our house value has gone up, but our mortgage has gone down. That tends to happen over time when you pay your mortgages. And we thought, here's us sitting in a house, but there's a bunch of people we know haven't got a house. That's a bit... It's a bit skew-if, isn't it? And so we felt challenged. We heard a couple of stories. We felt challenged. We could probably... We've got enough financial headroom and margin that we could remortgage our house, kind of get a bit of additional borrowing, free up some cash, and then loan that to a friend and take it by house. Because the challenge for most young adults is not the payments. Your mortgage... Sorry, your rent payments will probably happily cover a mortgage. You know that. But the challenge is that cash to get going. 
I'm not speaking to them. I'm speaking to the choir here. This is, this is known by many people. So we thought we could do that. Anyway, we did that a number of years ago. And we thought that didn't dent us too much. We said, pay us back in five years or ten years' time. A little bit of interest each year. That will work well for you, work well for us. We did that. We thought, that was fun. Let's try it again. We did it again. We did it three times over the last... 15, 20 years, and it's been a game changer for the people. We're not talking about doing that for our kids. This is not the, what we're talking about for Beth and Esther. This is like kids in God's family who didn't have parents with spare cash. Now listen, I just want to say that story, not to try and big us up, but it was eminently doable. It was eminently doable. And friends, there are folks in this room who could easily do the same thing. There are a bunch of you who've got a lot of equity in your house, or you've got just cash in the bank that's getting your diddly squat in terms of interest. And you could free it up for somebody who would love to get on the housing market, but the challenge is they haven't got the bank of mum and dad to bail them out. I'm only lobbing that out there as an idea because God's economy is meant to look different, isn't it, friends? It's meant to be different. Open-handed, generous, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun when we do that sort of stuff. I'm going to wrap up with a few statements that just capture, I think, the wisdom of this whole thing, and then we're going to land and just respond in worship. You'll probably acquire more money if you work hard and are full of wisdom. But if all you care about is getting more money, then Proverbs says you're the biggest fool. It is wise to save money, but don't ever think that money will give you real security. God gives you money because he's generous, but his, he's generous with you so that you can become more generous with others. If you're generous with your money, God is more likely to be generous with you. Wealth is more desirable than poverty, but wealth is not as good as righteousness, humility, wisdom, good relationships, and the fear of the Lord. Money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. And one day, I and you will give an account of what I've done for it to God himself. And money is a training ground for us trusting God. It's an issue of the heart and it's an issue of faith. And choose to believe that doing things God's way is the best way for you. Why don't we stand together and we're going to respond. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.